0: Good evening. Thank you very much. One person's glad to see me. That's good. We'll see how we get on. (laughs) All righty. You probably gathered. My name's Faith. Um, I also serve here on the the team of this church alongside of Zach, which is lovely. So we are some of you all know this, in the middle of a series where we're going through one of the books of the Bible that's called Mark because it was written by a guy called Mark. And it's actually one of four books that are are accounts of Jesus' life. And there's quite a lot of overlap, the different stories told from different angles. And tonight we're going to look at a story which is all about Jesus and his conversation with a wealthy, influential young man. And this story actually appears in three of the books. And from those three books, we build up a bit of a picture of this man. Matthew writes that he was a young man, which you'll all be very glad to know means um, under 40, apparently. So that will be all of you and not me. Um, And then from Mark, we learn that he was a person with authority. He was a person in power somebody of influence and then in all three accounts we realize that core to this man's life was incredible wealth he was wealthy so we're going to read this conversation through and if you've never really read much of the bible before especially the bits where jesus is speaking what's incredible is that jesus is always seems to be able to have a conversation on several levels at the same time i imagine it was actually quite scary to have a conversation with jesus I don't know if you've ever known anybody who was a counselor. I've got a friend who's a counselor. And sometimes when she's talking to me, I want to say to her, stop it. Stop doing that counselor thing. It's like you're looking into my soul and I don't want you to do that. And I imagine that a chat with Jesus was a bit like that. And this one certainly was. This Wealthy, influential young man bounces up to Jesus and he is looking for and expecting Jesus' affirmation, A-grade for a life well-lived. Good on you, young man. And he doesn't get that, but what he gets is so much more, including an awful lot to think about. So we're going to go into the Bible, into this book called Mark, into chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 17. It was such a good idea to split the Bible up into chapters and verses so that we could refer to them, wasn't it? Fantastic. Alrighty. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have kept all these since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, Well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and he said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, mothers, sisters, children, fields, along with persecutions... And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Wow, so there's a lot in there, isn't there? I don't know about you. Do you understand all of that? I'm not sure that I do. However, that's the way it rolls with Jesus. So we're just going to dig into it and see what we might pull out of this story. And the great thing about that is it will give you lots of um, room for great conversations in the week to come. What is Jesus talking about? So this man approaches Jesus and he basically says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Now through our 21st century lens, we're probably thinking, he's asking Jesus, how do I get to heaven when I die? Or am I going to go to heaven when I die? But actually... Apparently in the world of first century Judaism, what they believed was that there was an age to come when God's kingdom, his rule and reign would be established back here on earth and that they could build up for themselves an inheritance for that time by following the laws that Jesus had given them. And Jesus and this young man start to talk about these laws and don't do this and don't do that and honor your mom and dad. What are these laws? What on earth is all that? Well, If you go way back to the beginning of the Bible, thousands of years before this conversation, you find that God gave people who wanted to follow him a set of rules. They get called the law or the laws. And he gave them these laws to keep them safe and to keep them in right relationship with him. That was the purpose of them. Now, the problem with rules is that human beings tend to have two reactions to rules. And um, quite often, we are, we're, we're prone as people more to one reaction than the other. So you will now recognize yourself and what I'm about to say. First of all, you get the people who do the right thing. They like to know what their rules are and they don't like to break them. They can be a little bit nitpicky and a little bit judgy of those who aren't doing the right thing. Now, no one's nodding. Okay, I don't blame you. I have to confess, I fall into that camp. I'm just, for full disclosure, I'm just saying that up front. However, then you get the other people, and those are the people who believe that rules are there to be broken, that my life is a, you know, an open field and I will write my own rules. And then um, I've been married for an incredibly long period of time now, and uh, my husband and I met when we were 15 and 16. How cute is that? We were in the ha- same high school, and um, we are very different. I am a do-the-right-thing girl. You know, I was that girl who went home and studied, and handed in her homework on time, and studied for exams. I just thought everyone studied for exams. And then I was fifteen, and I started. Scott was my boyfriend. Was very exciting. And um, I went to visit his house, and um, showed me around his house. And I said, "Where's your desk?" He said, "Desk? What are you talking about, desk?" I said, "Well, where do you study?" He said, "Well, well, well I sometimes do homework, just like sitting on my bed watching the TV." we didn't work like a tv in the bedroom in my house i was like my goodness he doesn't have a desk this is amazing and scott and i went now i'm going to sound like i'm about 100 here but i kid you not we went to an ordinary comprehensive school it was a state school but you know how in these old old schools it's like an old building they'll have girls written over one entrance and boys written over the other you do sometimes see that in old schools not in my school. They, we actually had to adhere to it. So in the morning, girls had to enter in the girls' entrance. And boys had to enter in the boys' entrance. And it doesn't stop there. Girls hung up their coats in the girls' cloakroom. This is all true. And boys hung up their stuff, did whatever they did, all the smelly trainers and stuff, um, in the boys' cloakroom. It was a bit smelly. And, uh, and then we did have mixed classes from S3 onwards. Yes, Indeed. But as we were moving between classes, we had boys' corridors and girls' corridors. So you would literally be in a classroom together studying chemistry. <laughs> Horrors. And then you would be going to maths. Doesn't that sound like fun? But we would depart, and we would go different directions, and then we would come back together. It's, it's actually a true story. And Not only that, when it was break time, because I I lived in um, Perth, so only 50 miles from here. So some of you might even begin to know what this school is. Yes, it's one of the high schools in Perth. And in the break time, if it was raining, which it is, I would say, half the year in Perth, then the girls went to girls' farm rooms and the boys went to boys' farm rooms where we also had registration separately. I mean, I'm not that old, but this is the way this school ran. And when Scott and I started going out together, I was like do the right thing. Scott kept sneaking into my farm room to to be with me at lunchtime and I was sort of half like, Oh, this is really nice, I think he really likes me and half thinking, This is not right. I thought this is really not right. Someone is going to catch us. And the thing was that the boys' farm rooms are in the top corridor. By the time you reach 50, you're in the top, the top corridor with all your farm rooms. And there's a, there's a corridor, a boys' corridor with boys' farm rooms on it. But there is only one drinks machine in the whole school. And if you're in S5 or S6, you're allowed to use the drinks machine. And... Um, yeah, I can't believe I'm telling you all this story. So then the thing about the drinks machine is it was located at the end of the boys' corridor. Oh, Winner. So what did the girls do all break time and lunchtime? We just went along and got another. It was very expensive. And we spent all our time. I know. and look, Feminism just went totally out the window. And we just spent all the time going, ah, I'm going to have a drink. And um, so the fateful day came when I walked along the boys' corridor, because I was allowed to do that. And the boys' cloakroom was there beside the drinks machine. And Scott grabbed me, and um, it was a modest kiss. I'm going to say it was really modest, but at that moment, I don't know, I can't remember, probably not. At that very moment, (laughs) we're married now, so it's all fine. At that very moment, the headmaster came past. I kid you not, Scott and I's reactions could not have been more different. Headmaster roared at us, he was absolutely terrifying and um, he really was totally terrifying. And he said, come to my room at some random time in the afternoon. I had hours, hours to be anxious. I was just like utterly beside myself because I like to do the right thing. I like to keep the rules right. And I thought this was the worst thing. Scott was not bothered. He was like, says problem, not mine. I was like, what? He was like, well, who cares? I was like, I might get expelled. I might get one of my grades dropped. He was like, well, who cares? <laughs> I know. And do you know what? It has to be said, Scott and I, to this day, <laughs> sometimes if I feel myself getting a little anxious about following the rules, I just say, What do you think? He says, Wow, well, do what you like, babe. <laughs> That's fine. It's great. It makes him a great husband, I have to say. Great indeed. But that is generally how human beings roll, isn't it? We fall on one side of that or the other. And actually, when you read the Bible, a lot of the Old Testament, what you see is God agonizing over the human tendency to either do the right things, but with the wrong attitude, the nitpicky, judgy, well, I'm doing it, but you're not doing it attitude. Or to do that, I'll do it my way, I'm not doing your rules type attitude. And God agonizes over that because the rules were not just there to be obeyed. That wasn't the point. The point was the rules were there to keep people safe. And when this young man comes to Jesus, he really believes. I imagine he was a bit more like me. He really believed he was doing it right. Comes up to Jesus, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think he was quite confident just from the whole tenor of the conversation. And what's the first thing Jesus says to him? Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, There's nobody good but God. And I think what he's really saying to that young man is be careful. Be careful how you judge yourself, young man, because there is nobody good except God. And even at this point in history, when the way to God, the way to right relationship with God, was following these rules, it was always still the heart attitude that God was most interested in. God is much more interested in the openness and the posture of your heart than your rule following. What happens on the inside is more important to him than what happens on the outside. Because ultimately, it's what happens on the inside that will determine the real fruit of what comes on the outside. But I'm getting more deep and philosophical, so going back into the story. So Jesus and this man are having this this dialogue about how he's living his life. And this young man's question is not, how do I make better investments to make more money? It's not, what could I do to elevate my status or position even higher? He's asking him, what could I do to inherit eternal life? So this young man's hungry. He wants to do the right thing. And he wants to build something of eternal value. And in verse 21, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I think those three words, and loved him, are really key to this story. Because you'd think, in what Jesus is about to say to him, that Jesus was a bit angry with him, that he was brushing him off, that, um, you know, all sorts of things. But actually, what Jesus did was Jesus looked at this young man, and he looked beyond his maleness, would have been a patriarchal society, so it would have been pre- most prestigious to be a man. He looked beyond that. He looked beyond his wealth. He looked beyond his position. And he looked into his heart. And he loved him. And when Jesus loves us, he'll tell us it as it is. And sometimes that's quite challenging, and it certainly was for this man. Jesus said to him, there's one thing that you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come. And follow me. Jesus literally turns the guy's world upside down. How do I know? Because it says it. The guy's just like, just no. His face falls. He wants to build something of eternal value. I think he wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus finally invites him. But the cost is just way too high it's too hard. What's Jesus saying? Is he saying it's wrong to have wealth? I don't think so. There's plenty of wealthy people in the Bible, plenty of people with status and position. That's not an issue. But for this young man, there's something attached to all of this wealth and status that he's going to need to lay down in order to follow Jesus. What is it? Well, in order to understand it, it probably helped to understand a little bit more about the world view at this point for these people, for the Jewish people. And in the first century, the Jewish view of the world was that people who were wealthy, people who had status, that was a sign of God's favor on their life. So they were godly people, and that was evident in their wealth and status. So therefore, that's what gave this young man the confidence to come up to Jesus. And say to him, I've followed all these rules since I was a child. I think I'm doing good. And he probably was doing good. And then Jesus says to him, actually, there's just one thing. Just one thing. And the one thing is this. Is your identity, your sense of importance and value is wrapped up in your wealth and your position. So you're going to have to lay them down to come and follow me. It's not the wealth that's the problem. It's not the status that's the problem. It's what this young man has attached to them. And we know he's attached a lot to them because of his reaction. His face falls and he's sad and he grieves because he just can't let go of that and I think it's probably really hard for him because in his world he was a very respected figure because of that wealth and status and to step away from them would have been a huge step of trust and honestly those of you in this room tonight who've chosen to follow Jesus you know it is a huge step of trust Jesus doesn't ask everyone to give away their money, but he does ask us to lay down the things that we get our identity and our our sense of importance in. He asks us to lay them down because he wants our sense of identity to come from him. And that can be very, very challenging. So let's think about that for us. Where does your sense of identity come from? What is it that gives you a sense of value and importance? It's probably quite complex, isn't it? It's probably not just one thing. Let's sit with that question tonight. What is it? For some of us who are following Jesus, Jesus will definitely be in the mix. We'll get some of our identity from Jesus. But what else do we get it from? From our qualifications or our job or our perhaps for us there's wealth and status in there. For some of us, our sense of identity is actually really bad. We think very little of ourselves because we don't have a sense of importance. What we have is a sense of lack of importance, a sense of lack of worth, because our identity is rooted in perhaps things that were said to us as children or maybe, I don't know, a sense of not achieving or not doing as well. Identity isn't always, for this young man, his identity was strong and it was positive and confident. Sometimes it's not. But either way, Jesus is looking for us to have our sense of value rooted in him and what God has to say over our lives. And I do wonder, when I read the Gospels, it says that Jesus really loved to hang out with the tax collectors and sinners. So they were like just basically the, the, the naughty people. And they were the people who knew they were naughty. And I think, I think sometimes it is easier for people who just know who just know that they need something different in their life. They just know that they're blowing it. Sometimes it's just easier for them to come to Jesus simply because they have, in some ways, less to let go of. But you know what the irony is? It isn't actually any easier to let go of a negative identity than it is a really positive one. I can honestly say that. I've lived for years and years now and um, come alongside people in community where there's an awful lot of brokenness. And a lot of poverty and, and a lot of dreadful sense of identity. And it's still an incredibly, thing, incredibly hard thing to let go of a low self um, sense of esteem. Switch those words around. You know what I mean. And here's the second question that goes along with where are you getting your identity. Where are you investing yourself? The truth is that we will invest ourselves in the thing that gives us identity. I have no doubt that this young man was investing himself in his, whatever it was that gave him his position and in his wealth. And Jesus is challenging him, if you really want to inherit something of eternal value, if you really want to do something that's going to make a difference beyond this life, you're going to have to invest yourself somewhere different. Notice what Peter says to Jesus. Peter's one of the guys who had already chosen to follow Jesus. And that was a common thing for Jesus to say to people, come and follow me. And, And Peter says, oh, me and these other guys, we left everything to follow you. They left stuff. But for this guy, it was too hard to leave because he was so invested. He was putting so much of himself and so much of his sense of worth in what he had and who he was. And often if you look at your life, if I look at my life and I see what I'm investing, my time, my energy, my money even, what am I investing those things in, it'll tell you what's important to me, but it'll also tell you where I find my sense of worth. So I want us to engage with that for a little minute. And I'd like you to do something a little different I mean, you don't have to if you don't want to and no one will know. Just sitting in your seat, I'd encourage you to close your eyes. And just be relaxed. And whether you know Jesus or whether you don't, whether you've chosen to follow him or whether you haven't, that doesn't matter at all. Jesus will happily meet with anyone wherever they're at with him. And I'd like to you to picture yourself in your mind with Jesus maybe somewhere that you like somewhere you feel comfortable somewhere beautiful just picture yourself with Jesus and I don't know if Jesus is looking at you or maybe he's beside you but in that picture in your mind Jesus is going to turn to you and look at you. And I want you to turn and look at him. And when Jesus looks on us, he looks past all the masks and all the things that we put up for the world to see. And he sees who we are and he loves us. No matter who you are and what you've done and how much you think you deserve it, irrelevant Jesus loves. And as Jesus looks at you and you look at Jesus, my challenge to you would be to ask Jesus, where am I getting my sense of value and importance? And I'm just going to give you a quiet minute to sit with that. that will be new to some of you, so I won't make you sit in silence for too long. Where am I getting my sense of identity is a massive question. Quite a full-on question. I've got some good news for you. The good news, if you didn't know already, is that Jesus Christ came to earth and lived and died and he ended the law. He was the fulfillment or the completion of that law that I talked about. So the way to God is no longer through doing all those laws that you can read about in the Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The way to God now is through Jesus Christ. Thank God for that because it's a lot easier. Does that mean that like my lovely husband, you just write your own rules. Not exactly. (laughs) What it means is that you can be part of God's team without getting everything right. You can be part of God's team through Jesus Christ. And then once you're part of God's team, once you're following Jesus, everything starts to change. And you want to be more like Jesus and your life does change, but it changes from the inside out because you start off is one of God's family because of Jesus. Isn't that great news? It is honestly the best news ever.